one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the NXT review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by the Dudley Boys of What Culture, Michael Hamlet and Michael Sidgwick, here to review everything that happened on last night's episode of NXT. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts, where we not only review NXT but also Raw, SmackDown, AW Dynamite, pay-per-views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody quiz, of course on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Hamlet and Sidgwick to review NXT. Hamlet, what did you think of the first show on Sci-Fi? Bad. Really bad. Um, No fancy qualifiers or caveats or excuses. Uh, A bad show. Not bad in the same way that most WWE is bad, where Raw and more Smackdowns than people would like to admit don't even resemble a wrestling show. This was an attempt at a good one done badly. And that's what this NXT was. Didn't do anything to address the feeling that this product is freezing cold. And yes, the ratings will take a dip due to the move to sci-fi. Of course it will. But we talked about this a little bit on the preview yesterday. I didn't want to give NXT a pass um, because I didn't with AEW about phoning it in when you're getting moved off your regular night or from your regular station or whatever. Worst thing here was that I don't think NXT was phoning it in. And yet it was still... <laughs> A bad show. And that's almost a bigger problem than when it's very obvious that you're saving all your good stuff for the return of the normal nights or the normal networks or whatever. I think that's the bigger problem coming out of this episode. Yeah, they try to do several big events on this show with genuinely thick as hell timing. Like, Hmm. I understand that they probably didn't want to deviate from certain plans. And I guess it's commendable that they didn't do what AEW did. And that is absolutely dog it when the schedule is um, totally thrown askew. Um, I don't think they necessarily had the luxury to do that with TakeOver on the horizon, whereas with AEW, it was literally just after Double or Nothing. Uh, Just, yeah, but it was fine. Some of it was fine. And I don't know if it's just my wider malaise with this product, but this was big events are happening, a big good match is happening, some funny segments are happening. And yeah, I just found it quite difficult to care. I'm pretty sure, actually, when we go through segment by segment, I'll find things that were worth praising, things mm-hmm. that were objectively good. But just as a viewing experience, yeah, this product is freezing cold, as Hamford said. Yeah, I was indifferent to large parts of the show. There were parts that I really did enjoy, and they weren't just the ones on the golf course before you jump to any conclusions. Um, that, you know, I'm excited about the world title picture, but 
like you say, it's caveated by the, the whole surroundings around it. And uh, yeah, a lot of this show, which was definitely something that would be, I don't want to bury it too much, but skippable. Uh, you know, some matches I would have just, if I hadn't got to review this, I would have just gone, all right, what was the result? Or even maybe just read the result because obviously these are two pre-taped shows. Uh, so we sort of knew what was coming, although I forgot that and then was surprised all over again. But let's dive straight into it with the opening match. Uh, it was uh, Timothy Thatcher and Tommaso Ciampa versus only Lorcan and Brito, uh in a technical chain wrestling classic. There was a lot of a lot of that sort of thing here. Uh, but I mean, chopping the crap out of each other as well. I should mention. I, I did enjoy it. It was you know if you if you like that sort of thing, uh, great work from uh, from Thatcher and Dunn, and uh, obviously the the, the builds to to Champer and Dunn squaring off. And, and let's not you know negate to mention uh, only Lorcan in amongst all this. But uh, Champer gets the hot tag. Uh, he cleans house, runs wild, just lariats everyone he can see. Uh, he's targeting Dunn's arm. Lorcan goes to make the save, but he's uh, dragged out of the ring by Timothy Thatcher, putting an ankle lock, when all of a sudden, it's done on the outside, uh, he's torturing Only Lorcan on the outside. Ridge Bloody Holland's back. He clobbers uh, Thatcher, lays him out. Lorcan then can jump in and break up the submission on Putin. And uh, Champa knocks him out, that knocks him out of the ring, but that allows Pete Dunn to recover and hit the bitter end. One, two, three. Post match, uh, they Lorcan and Dunn hold Champa and make him watch as Rich Bloody Holland ragdogs ragdolls Thatcher around the ring, throwing him uh, all over the place. His legs going into the ropes and that sort of thing. They lay out him, they lay out Champa, and they stand tall at the end of it all. Uh, Sage, what did you make the opener? That undisputed highlight of the show, it was all downhill for me from here. Elements of this were excellent or at least trending towards excellent. And I'm not going to bury the finish. I'm not I'm not like Giant Baba. I don't need literally everything to be clean. I understand that this is North American TV wrestling. I understand that if you're going to do a big return, yes, use a match like this as a platform for it. We talk a lot about how certain words have been cannibalized just through the experience of being a WWE watcher, and yet they protected my favourite tag team here. So I was happy enough with that. Um, some of the work, and I'm not the biggest grapple frick. Sorry, I have to go AJ Styles on these podcasts. <laughs> um, some of the grapple frick um, stuff. There's worse AJ Styles F words to use on a podcast. That, 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 it's so class. It's one of our funniest favourite things. That What an awesome <laughs> little man he is. Uh, <laughs> Even though it's not my preferred genre, I thought the work in particular between Dunn and Champa, uh, sorry, Dunn and Thatcher was like sublime to watch. Mm. Like they were putting each other in really credible positions of agony with very quick transitions. And they are such masters technically that each and every one of them looked like, oh, you're not going to get a counter for that. And it looks like it really hurts a great deal. And yet they found the counters because they're so skilled. Just lovely to watch. Just genuinely gripping, credible, painful-looking, realistic pro wrestling. Um, I didn't like suck itself off, basically, by laboring on the mat. Just class, class, class. Of course, every strike after that feels more explosive. It built really, really nicely. Um, Thatcher and Champ as machismo just continues to be wonderful. Um, Champ's fire-up spot was great. That little made to do the same move at the same time stuff always works for me. Undisputed highlight of the show is. 
Yeah. Um, all of this probably reflects the best thing happening in NXT currently. And you kind of got it all bottled within the first 15 minutes of the show. Um, had the same notes on that match. There was an exchange, well, not an exchange, I guess, but um, between Pete Dunne and Thatcher that was just so magnificently paced. Pete Dunne was reaching for Thatcher's arm and Thatcher was trying to keep it away from him. And it was as simple as that. They were kind of locked together and there was this real human chess hold, counter hold sort of thing going on where I don't necessarily understand exactly what muscle that's going to tear out or what bone that's going to attempt to break, but I can infer it from what I'm watching. And Thatcher can't swing wildly because he'll then he'll give Pete Dunne his arm. So he's got to think about how best to get out of this situation. And Pete Dunne can't just lunge for it because then he'll lose position on the other side. And I, like that's I'm pretty thick when I'm watching this and I need it to be shown to me. And I just thought they did such a magnificent job of it. it like, I would compare it to Zack Sabre Jr. in that regard. There are only so many wrestlers that can tell that kind of story to thickos like me, and I think they mastered that here. The said this before, people that look like Tommaso Ciampa and Timothy Thatcher shouldn't be able to do Ricky Morton fire-up babyface comebacks, and they do. These are the angriest, scariest-looking men you wouldn't want to meet in a pub car park, and yet they feel like they're reaching out for like the young girls in the crowd to like will them on to make the hot tag and stuff. I, I don't know how this has happened, but I love that it has. Um, and a pretty cool re-establishment, genuinely coolest re-establishment of the Kings of NXT. Ridge Holland is a forgotten monster that these guys have had in waiting while he rehabilitates. Um, not the worst group to form, to reform, I guess, on NXT at the moment. You know, they they have, I mean, let's be honest, cribbed from AEW here in terms of setting up stables and setting up groups. They've seen the benefit and we're now seeing that play out. Um but yeah, that'll benefit in all the ways that we've explained. Stables benefit TV shows. You can get mixed pairings. You can get other goals at this. And it doesn't remotely feel like Thatcher and Champa were damaged by the defeat. If anything, Larkin and Dunn are more over, more over as a result of the win. And that's a, that's kind of a best case scenario. And just nice to see Ridge Bloody Holland back uh, in and around a wrestling ring. Because obviously it was just a horrible injury that he suffered. Uh, and, and clearly they've got big, big plans for him. Uh, we had a vignette uh, hyping uh, Carmelo Hayes. He had his first round match in the NXT breakout tournament to come. Uh, and then a promo from Hit Row uh, slagging off Legado de Fantasma in English and Spanish. They're rapidly growing on me. We'll talk a little bit more about Hit Row when we get to that segment uh, and that match. Uh, a little bit later on, because then Samoa Joe stormed down to the ring, obviously fuming with what happened to his best buddy, William Regal, last week. Uh, he pulls out a table, he pulls out a chair, he sets it up in the ring, and he demands that Regal come down because Karrion Cross is too scared to be there. Uh, and Regal walks down looking mightily pissed off with uh, the way he was laid out by Cross at the end of last week's show. Uh, and Joe says, look, I know your plan is to fire Karrion Cross, but I've got a better idea. It's a three-step process. Process. Number one, here is my resignation letter. He leaves his current role as the enforcer of NXT. Number two is a, a document making Joe a competitor, uh, part of the active roster in NXT, uh, which the crowd were very excited about. And Regal hesitates and then signs. And finally, he uh, Joe reminds, he said it was a three-step process. He reveals the third one, the third contract he's brought with him, is a contract for a title match at TakeOver 36. Samoa Joe versus Karrion Cross. William Regal signs it. Say it with me, Michael Hamlet. It's official. How do you feel about it all? 
Um, okay, the match is ultimately what I want. Um, it never fails to amuse me that WWE think what makes great television is the administration of professional wrestling. <laughs> like, they just think this is what the people want to see. If you've been working all day in an office, what you want to do is get home and put your escapist entertainment on to see more office work. <laughs> like, they're obsessed with it. Um, so this elements of this felt pretty needless. Um, but the destination, I think, is the important thing. Um, and I've as we talked, when I watched it, I wasn't remotely entertained. As we analyse it, perhaps I'm willing to give it a passing grade. Joe and Cross is the right match. Joe being this intense about the specific changes to his life all of a sudden is helpful because it puts over carrying Cross more than a one minute 40 loss that Jeff Hardy does. Joe is willing to do all of this because he wants to deck carrying Cross. And what isn't mentioned but exists in the subtext is actually something quite sweet which he feels like he wants to avenge what happened to William Regal. Not labouring on that is quite smart because it's going to it's gonna like dampen Joe's fire a little bit. Of like, And another thing, I really like my old boss and I want to <laughs> take revenge on him. They didn't need to say that, but it was implied. And that's quite nice because of the mutual respect we've built up. Um, a net positive, I didn't need it to play out the way it played out. This, more than anything, feels like something they knew would be spoiled and thus didn't want to give too much away. I can't not rate it, even if I didn't feel enormously like, oh, crisis is the match I need to see. I'm going to probably have to reappraise my entire outlook on the Samoa Joe character and its presentation at NXT, considering they've known all along he can be cleared. They've crafted a storyline on the basis that he's cleared and will have been in line to work, take over all along. Whereas previously I'm thinking, if he's not cleared and he's harder than everybody else, then that's not good. Mm. Is it still good that he's literally harder than everybody else? I'm not quite so sure about that. Um, look, Joe's really popular. I've got a lot of love for Samoa Joe dating back to too long ago, I would say. I haven't been given anywhere near enough reason to really receive him as this like folk hero that he pretty much is in a lot of circles. Um, I don't know if it's the play. But then again, on this show, I don't know what is the play at all. Maybe the play at this point is just do a goddamn storyline that's going to put over someone people really like and people really like some more Joe. So maybe on a fundamental principle level, it's not that great an idea to cast everyone in his shadow, so to speak. But I'm more into it than Cross versus anyone else on this roster at this point. Truly, I am. Um, Joe's good individually. Um I would like to see less fire from him until the storyline peaks because I feel like I've seen a lot of it. And I don't know if it's just an NXT thing or his delivery thing, but yeah, the more he screams and is enraged, then possibly it could descend into cliche. But yeah, it's really quite well crafted by modern NXT standards, all of this. Yeah, I realise I completely am about to undercut myself this because he, he followed it up with violence about 10 seconds after what he, I'm about to say he said happened. But that promo where he just whispered in Paul Heyman's ear what he was going to do to him, that's they're just... Yes, levels. Shade, basically, yeah, yeah, exactly right. I'm just going to come in and kill you every single time we see him. Like you say, this... There's multiple gears that he needs to be switching into for that. But uh, yeah, I'm just looking forward to seeing next week's segment, trying to spot the bit where they have to cut in because everyone's going, Hardy, Hardy. <laughs> <laughs> See where that goes. Um, 
the first of several vignettes. We'll talk about all of them with my favourite, which was obviously the last vignette. But first, it was uh, LA Knight. He was uh, hitting the golf course with on. Was he having a wank? No, he's not. He's uh, he's cleaning up. <laughs> That's the visual gag initially, and Cameron Grimes keeps putting him off by talking, and then um, as a bet, which I don't think Ellie not actually agreed to, but regardless, he owed him five grand because he shanked it into the woods. Effectively, um, Grimes is loving it. La Knight's furious. More on this a little bit later on because first uh, we had Carmelo Hayes versus Josh Briggs. Josh Briggs six foot eight, I think it was. That was the premise of his uh, vignette. And we all went, oh, cool. So Carmelo Hayes is winning this one. But more importantly than all that, uh, Vink was on commentary for this one. Lovely to see him back on WWE TV yet again. Uh, what's his name? Duke Bloody Hudson. I think he's going by now. Of course, he would face the winner of this match. And as you would expect, Carmelo Hayes, uh, incredibly, incredibly talented, incredibly flippy and athletic, but not six foot eight. So Josh Briggs uh, had the power game whilst... Hayes tried to avoid getting his head taken off, effectively. Uh, Hayes got a near fall off a code breaker. Briggs comes back, hits a massive big boot and a huge choke slam for a near fall. Later on, uh, Briggs goes for a side slam. Hayes counters that into a head scissors and then comes off the top rope with a leg drop to the back of Briggs's neck uh, and gets the... the uh, three count Carmelo Hayes will face Vink in the next round. Simple story this, but told well, Sige. Yeah, I guess the issue with doing this breakout star tournament is that it's a bit of a cell phone because who do they think they are saying that anyone can break out of this brand? Like literally and figuratively, given that it's in a sort of stasis as this quasi third brand as it is. The drama was undercut by the fact that neither of these guys yet feel major league. And I understand what the premise of the actual tournament is, what the to- the premise of the tournament is, but at the same time, it detracts from the drama because I don't know either guy's finish. I don't really take any guy seriously as someone worth my investment on TV. The story told was quite obvious and it didn't transcend. I love the trope, like hmm. scrappy little guy, fells giant. Like it's class pro wrestling 101. If I was a complete hack bastard is hmm. what I would say. But at the same time, I broadly find to good work with no emotional investment is a key component to why this company in general, this brand in general is just. I inferred that Josh Briggs finisher was a choke slam because when Hayes kicked out, Josh Briggs had to look inside himself and wonder what he's become at this point in his career. <laughs> yeah. um, to find himself in this deep dark well. Second week in a row that a wrestler that we've never seen doing a move we've never seen is apparently enough to get them to do the Shawn Michaels expression down the in lens. Um, I didn't, I wasn't super high on this, if I'm honest. Um, I had uh, evidence elsewhere. Um, it was we, the Kashida match we mentioned yesterday that Carmelo Hayes has had, as well as um, like an entertaining loss to Adam Cole mm. that made me think that he was going to be one of the ones to watch, I guess, in this breakout tournament. And maybe he will be. Maybe Hayes and Vink is the big one um, because we've obviously all got so much investment in both those guys. That's going to feel like a main event within the breakout bracket. Um, yeah, this wasn't it for me. I did, they, there is a need in a tournament like a breakout, anything like themed around breakouts, for them to kind of get out of first gear almost instantly 
and stay there. And this built and built and built like a quite a boring Seth Rollins, Dolph Ziggler television match. You know, it's like, we've been doing this 10 years. We kind of know what we're doing. Calm them down, calm them down. Calm, wind them up then, calm them down again. Calm. It's like, <laughs> oh man, it's a frigging breakout tournament. One guy's massive, another guy's small, he does flips. Like you don't need to clot on with it because it doesn't make sense within the context of why you're here. And uh, so I kind of think they got the agent into this one wrong. I didn't get much out with Josh Briggs and I love big guys in wrestling. I want to see giants be the ones that are on top of all of this. <laughs> like, uh, even if the little guys win, I still want to see them crushed under the big guy's boot for the majority of the match. Didn't really get that vibe out of any of this. Not um, not a successful presentation of Carmelo Hayes for me. I'm looking forward to him versus Vink going forward, though. Like you said, that's going to be. I think that's going to be one of the highlights of this entire tournament. And it was followed by uh, another trip to the golf course with uh, LA Knight and Cameron Grimes. This time, Grimes is trying to do running running commentary as LA Knight shanks one into the into the water into the pond. Uh, this time, uh, and LA Knight furious sends Grimes into the into the water in his socks to, to fetch it for him. Uh, Grimes finds the ball, celebrates like he just won the world title. Uh, and then who should turn up but one Ted DiBiase user on the golf course in his million-dollar golf cart. Um, and DiBiase, Ted DiBiase said, look, you're better than this. Uh, but Grimes said, well, I'm a man of my word. I thought you'd be more upset if I didn't live to live up to what I promised. Um, but Ted DiBiase told him he wasn't born to be a butler. You were born to be a champion. Don't lose your pride. Fight for what you believe in. Intriguing to see where this goes next. And let's talk about what happened next uh, with the women's world title picture. Raquel Gonzalez, who, of course, uh, defended the title last week, comes down, uh, bigs herself up, talks about, you know, defeating all challenges for her NXT Women's Championship. Um, wonders out loud who's going to be next to challenge her. No one is forthcoming. No interruptions this time. Dakota Kai stands by her side, hypes her up as big mommy cool. She's the most dominant woman in NXT history. She said she's better than Charlotte Flair, Sasha Banks, Asuka, and others before her. Um, she said the reason why this NXT women's division is one of the greatest is because of one woman. Uh, no, she didn't say who that one woman was. Uh, and she uh, asks if anyone is going to be woman enough to challenge Gonzalez for the championship at TakeOver. Again, no one steps forward. And Kai ominously says, as long as I'm in your corner, Raquel Gonzalez, you will always be champion. She raises her hand, the music plays, and the segment ends. No, of course it doesn't. We all knew where this was going. Gonzalez lifts the championship up to the fans, turns her back and turns round to get nailed with a kick by Dakota Kai. Gonzalez collapses to the floor. She can't believe what's happened and she's just been KO'd effectively. And uh, Dakota Kai grabs and holds up the NXT Women's Championship. I said this on the news with Andy Hamflet. We all knew where this was going. That doesn't make it bad. I really like this. Oh, it wasn't exactly Tegan Knox in the cage door, though, was it? Jesus Christ. Like, I really didn't like this. Sorry, Wilborn. Really, really didn't like this. I thought I got this so wrong. And the why this felt so wrong is because all the details leading up to this have felt so right. It's not just been about little glances or little comments from Dakota Kai. It's been built into the matches as well. It's been very carefully plotted from before Raquel Gonzalez even won the title, you were understanding the dynamics of this relationship and how ultimately Dakota Kai was going to grow jealous as she has done here or grow so overconfident that Raquel Gonzalez is only where she is because of her. Either way, both reasonable motivations to turn her and obviously take this title. I just thought this execution was all wrong and a monument to how 
bad how bad a job NXT is doing currently with most of its characterizations. You don't get Raquel Gonzalez to cut a cocky heel promo mm. before her heel accomplice is supposed to turn on her. Raquel Gonzalez, fair enough, should be talking herself up as the top star in this division, but should be doing it in a way where the fans have never been more in support of her. Should be doing it in a way where what she's learned so much as champion and now she feels like a leader. And thanks, Dakota Kai. I know a lot of people out there don't like you, but I know what you've done for me behind the scenes. Makes her seem like she's got warmth and she's earnest. And that's a baby face. And these are characteristics that you don't want to see a best friend then turn on because, of course, then it puts more heat on the heel, doesn't it? No, she's an arrogant arsehole. And when, she is, when she's turned on, when she gets that boot in the face, she's literally just been standing in the corner shouting at the crowd going, I'm the best, I'm the best, I'm the best. And then she turns around and takes a boot in the face. They've got that, like, that's basics, basics, fundamentals. And they've got them wrong right before the turn, right before the key moment. And it didn't help that it felt out of nowhere. It didn't help that it was spoiled, but circumstances are what they are. But it didn't help that it was so out of nowhere as well. Where was that last, um, the last tease we got that got us anything close to the, the peak of this angle was... Zia Lee pushing Dakota Kai out the way to challenge Raka Gonzalez. Did that really feel like the penultimate beat of this story? Because it certainly didn't to me. Um, I rushed and badly executed for me. Real shame. And what's worse, um, and it's unfair to speculate, the match hasn't happened yet, but what's worse is Raka Gonzalez's reign itself has underwhelmed. So the promo didn't feel particularly true. And now there's a certain pressure on Dakota Kai to do what nobody else has really done yet, which is give Gonzalez the match that we think she's all capable of. Not that it's any excuse, because this is all the same organisation, even though it's wildly chaotic to a point where there must be some legit tension at this point between Triple H and Vince McMahon, or at least keenly felt on one side. Not that it's remotely an excuse. They realistically could do something akin to what AW New Japan and Impact are doing right now. Like... If you preserve the worlds and manage them carefully, when you get some cross streams, it could feel like electrifying. Like these dream match collisions you never saw coming, blah, blah, blah. blah. We're at the absolute opposite of that. They're in control of everything. And it doesn't really feel like that. Maybe they've pushed on with this storyline because they've realized, hang on, we need something. Our women's division has been gutted. It's talk of Indy Hartwell potentially going to Raw. They screw up index. Like, oh. <laughs> um, so maybe they thought, right, we need something big for Raquel Gonzalez. And maybe that might excuse the fact that, as Hamlet rightly points out, you needed one little bit of teasing, I think, or one little bit of, like, a little bit of anticipation that you look forward to a development like this. The shock, like, ugh, didn't really do anything for me. This is so badly timed because it's been spoiled. No one's going to talk about it because any conversation happened about a week ago. Um, it's timed poorly within its own storyline. And I thought the execution and the implications of how they did this as it pertains to the rest of the women's division were awful. So what happens is Dakota Kai is giving the rah-rah speech on behalf of her mate. And she says, can anyone challenge her? Like minutes of my life passed by and I'm thinking, no, everyone's scared of her then. <laughs> And then I'm thinking during this time, because it takes so long, not only am I thinking, ah, well, scared of Raquel, are you? I'm thinking, well, who could feasibly challenge her? Who's racked up enough wins? And I'm thinking, ah, oh, such a blur of, like, now really, is it? 
like Frankie Monet, well, undercard heel. Saray, well, she's Japanese, so they don't like writing storylines for her. <laughs> All of these thoughts of, oh, this women's division's gone off a complete cliff this year, run through my head, and then you see this. When Gonzalez, when, once it becomes apparent what's happening, she's the last person to feel it. She looks like an idiot in the process. And I guess the idea is, oh, she would never see it coming because that was my best friend. You'd never guess that your best friend would betray you. Have you watched wrestling? Have you watched the <laughs> line? This was clearly patterned on like uh, rubbish and a shame. And as well, just to, to sort of further put over the, the problem of rushing this, let's use the comparison that they have invoked literally in the form of Big Mommy Cool. You had to buy that Shawn Michaels could beat Diesel. Dakota Kai feels like Raquel Gonzalez's next victim, mm. not the person that you've kind of like dreaded her facing all along. That's going to, like, they've got a real job on their hands to sell you on this being a title change. And you need to feel like this might be a title change for this broken friendship to resonate. And I think they're miles off the pace in that regard. Yeah, I don't really feel like any emotional connection to it whatsoever. I don't feel disappointed that they've botched this key part. I just feel like maybe all along, I just enjoyed the fact that they were doing something long-term without sort of, just rushing things out and counter-programming desperation. I don't really feel anything about this, and maybe that's just me, so I will caveat that with that, with that, with that. <laughs> a lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. What followed uh, was a series of uh, backstage or backstage videos or vignettes. We had a, a promo cut by Adam Cole about facing Bronson Reed in the main event. Then Io Shirai is training alone, training solo in the performance center when Zoe Stark approaches her and says, you could probably train together, shouldn't we? It seems with the NXT tag team champions. Um, <laughs> Io Shirai just goes, I don't like you, effectively. And uh, Stark goes, oh, okay, fair enough. Um, but what about a, a relationship? Uh, Shirai again goes, I don't want, I really don't want you as a friend. Uh, and, and Stark goes, oh, okay, well, what about just partners? Why don't we just be, you know, hang out as partners? And Shirai, Shirai reluctantly agrees. God, how can they possibly get along here, Sid? Got any idea. <laughs> like, you, Shirai, having good 
comedic deadpan timing is not enough to make me care about this at all, to be honest. Hmm. It's uh, the Wish version of Page and Omega, right? <laughs> and, uh, and we also got a, uh, a segment straight out of TNA, it felt like, with uh, Mandy Rose huddled backstage with uh, Gigi Dolin and uh, JC Jane. And uh, Mandy Rose, shh, go, go away, go away. Tell no one you've seen this, basically. Did you get flashbacks to, to impact on this? <laughs> yeah, I love any secret plans that take place. You missed one on Raw of AJ getting almost to stand in front of a camera. And it's like, maybe just don't have your plan in the corridor with a giant camera pointing at yeah, yeah, <laughs> Like, yeah. maybe find a corridor that hasn't got a boom mic hanging over the top if you can hatch a plot. <laughs> um, uh, Mandy Rose, I guess, is the recruit there still feels like they didn't expect to get Mandy Rose. It's like they were sent her by Vince McMahon. Um, and maybe he believes because she's blonde that uh, that's the answer to the show's ratings woes. And maybe he's proven right because the numbers have taken a minor upswing lately. Um, I, it just, like Mandy Rose recruiting like lower card wrestlers feels very inessential when you look at the likely rivals that they're setting up against them in, in, in the next match that we're about to talk about mm. oh, it all feels really pointless it's all <laughs> I, I cannot imagine uh the wilderness where an nxt dark elevation show would exist but all of this feels like it belongs on there yeah uh earlier on we'd uh had an interview with with frankie monet and and her being asked about her relationship with Jessica Meir and what's going on with her and the, the Robert Stone brand that had been interrupted by Katanzara and Carter, who just said, you can't just throw two people together into a tag team. Not been watching WWE recently, clearly then. Um, and then we got the match, uh, Katanzara versus Carter, uh, Katanzara and Carter, sorry, versus Frankie Monet and Jessica Meir. Um, story of this match, Katanzara and Carter work well together as a tag team, but Frankie Monet uh, starts to dominate both of them. looks like she's uh, got the match won. She is a, uh, laying out Carter, possibly looking for some sort of submission move when Robert Stone jumps up on the apron. He's got a man bag, a purse, whatever you want to call it. He throws it into the ring and tells uh, Monet to use it to, to hit Carter. That uh, not only uh, gets the referee's attention, of course, but uh, it distracts Monet. Uh, she turns around after shooing him off and uh, gets kicked by Carter. And then Carter and Catanzaro hit that mad double team neck breaker, blippy combo thing to get the victory. Catanzaro pins Monet and uh, more issues, Michael Sidgwick, for whatever's left of the Robert Stone brand. <sighs> I mean, who cares? Does anyone truly care about this? Except the most dedicated of, oh, you all haven't, you haven't been completely reduced to a cynical husk. Good for you. Um, I, I, Summon a single thought about those characters, about this plot development, about where it goes next. You know the matches aren't going to be good. Uh, I've got no thoughts on this whatsoever. Triple H's booking style on NXT has never been very good at obscuring when he's unhappy with the product that he has purchased. This goes all the way back to um, Hideo Itami and whatever stick up his ass he had about Kenta's, you know, um, perceived failings or whatever. And there's countless other examples. And Frankie Money is the latest. Uh, big push, big spotlight, underwhelms once, maybe underwhelms twice, maybe doesn't quite give them what they expected. And then they're just terrible at hiding how disappointed they are by putting her in an angle like this 
It is a transparent acknowledgement to the viewers. And I can say the viewers because NXT's audience skews older. Yeah, but like it skews older. We know this. So the people are watching are not kids that are just necessarily going to buy anything that's sold to them. You can watch this with a critical eye. And a lot of the audience will be doing that. And they will know now to receive Frankie Monet as lower card comedic filler. That's getting beat, by the way. Um that's in this state, this stable that already has no credibility, this warped version of the Robert Stone brand. Um, she doesn't want to associate with Robert Stone. I get that. His teams always lose. And even by not associating with him, she's still losing. Uh, I, this couldn't feel any less important. And that's where Monet is now slotted in. Hope you were, hope you enjoyed all them vignettes and all those challenges she was laying out to the entire division because it's the last you're going to see of any of it for about a year. It feels like they're booking her like Trips expects her to go to the main roster. They're like, oh, just given something not important like the Robert Stone brand. And then he just, yeah, we'll have Knox, Shotzi. Do you want this, Frankie Monet? Oh, no, you can carry on with her. Oh, <laughs> uh, bollocks. Yeah, it just feels very unessential, let's say, with this. And uh, yeah, look what the Robert Stone brand did for Rhea Ripley last year for any further evidence of that. Got a sit-down interview with Roderick Strong and Malcolm Bivins and my best friend Wade Barrett. Um, and they talked about, you know, the split of the Undisputed Era and Roderick Strong disappearing and uh, Bivens basically bringing Strong back and and and, and refocusing him. Uh, Bivens puts over Strong in his promo. Give Malcolm Bivens more mic time. Uh, talked about money. Talked about the Cruiserweight Championship and targeting that. Uh, and then, of course, their relationship with Bobby Fish. And uh, Strong concluded by uh, promising that he will finish Fish next week. Hamlet, your thoughts? Well, you better finish him next week because Tyler Russ did it in about two minutes a fortnight <laughs> ago. <laughs> to like echo the words of my esteemed colleague, I am not a goldfish. This was so good if this company could book, but they can't. Um, Bobby Fish was squashed two weeks ago and then the Diamond Mine lost last week. <laughs> so upshot, nobody is over. Roderick Strong versus Bobby Fish doesn't feel important. Malcolm Bivens' quest to get the Cruiserweight title doesn't feel essential. Um, I, like, don't smear even your best ideas in dog shit and then they won't smell like dog shit. But that's what this promo did, unfortunately. Um, there's another example of this later on in this very episode. But... Really, really careless booking has led us to the point where this matters loads less than it actually should. Mm. Yeah, the sound like this is a big fight and it ain't. It doesn't matter how it's lipstick on a pig. Like, it, you've, you've made a pig of Bobby Fish. I just killed him dead as someone who might stand a chance of getting over as this established veteran scalp. This has got no juice to it whatsoever. And on a general level, the way this was framed from a production standpoint, was distracting. Like, you know, find Bivens and Strong's eyes, like, really distracting in the segment, or was that just me? <laughs> and what are you looking at? It looked like they were looking at something over my shoulder. <laughs> I'm very tired when I watch this, but... <laughs> it was odd. Was it not? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I get you, but yeah, absolutely. Uh, this, uh, I mean... Weird Barrett's interview style is so uninteresting that they were just sort of drifting off elsewhere and talking to nobody. Maybe Triple H was watching over the shoulder like there's one person to impress her and it's not the boom, man. It's the boss. The, it reminds me of the time that Gronkowski couldn't read a teleprompter or couldn't cut a promo without reading the teleprompter and it looked like he was cutting a promo on my balls. <laughs> <laughs> Do you not remember that? Yeah. 
Uh, right, it was a Hit Row versus Imperium next. Um, Ashanti the Adonis and Top Dollar representing Hit Row in this. Uh, and Imperium use their, you know, number not numbers game really, but use their uh, tag team experience to isolate uh, Ashanti the Adonis, uh, beat him up, and then finally Top Dollar gets the hot tag, comes in and runs wild, batters him, cleans house, um, and then towards the end after... Uh, Top dollar had hoiked them all over the place. Adonis comes back in. Uh, he's desperately trying to get to the corner and uh, later on managed to make it again for another uh, thrilling hot tag for uh, for Top Dollar. And uh, in the midst of all this, we had a run-in from Legado del Fantasma. B-Fab and Swerve were, of course, on the outside. Mendoza and Wild run down, uh, attack uh, Isaiah Swerve Scott. That gets Top Dollar's attention. Uh, and that allows Imperium, I'll tell you, Top Dollar's busy dealing with Mendoza, Wild, uh, and the rest of Legado del Fantasma, of course. And uh, that allows Imperium to hit the uh, super uppercut doomsday powerbomb thing on Ashanti the Adonis. Uh, Marcel Bartel covers them, uh, covers Adonis for the victory. And post-match, it is a beatdown. Uh, of of everyone from Hit Row, uh, Legado del Fantasma jumps uh, uh, Shanti and Top Dollar. Swerve eventually comes in, swinging wildly with a chair to clear the ring. I don't know. I said this earlier, but I have to say I do think that that, that Hit Row are quite growing on me in the midst of all this pamphlet. Well, yeah, um, me too. And it's because they've pivoted a little bit and they've allowed them to lean into being baby faces. Um, the we weren't all collectively very high on Hit Row, but like lots of people were, and they were getting a reaction, and not many people do, in the CWC. So NXT have spotted that and identified that, and I thought, right, well, let's just like position them against heels. You don't really need to change much of the verbiage or the output of the presentation. Just position them against bad guys instead of good guys, and suddenly they're baby faces. Nothing fundamentally wrong with that. Nor is there too much wrong with attempting to do two things at once, which was the idea of this match. Only problem is, if you get that wrong, you botch both. So the idea of all of this was to uh, extend the hostilities between Hit Row and Phantasma while also getting Imperium ready for MSK because we had a teaser of that drivel last week. Mm. Um, I think they failed on both counts here. I think all you got was Hit Row feeling far less important than they were. And in their first week, effectively, as out-and-out babyfaces, they were beaten. So... We've had this exact example play out on Raw this week with Nikki A.S.H. Fans back winners and will continue to back winners if they continue to win. But in the first opportunity fans had to back Hit Row, they lost. And I know it's because of the Phantasma stuff and I know that it's spilled to this match, but they've still lost. We just talked about it in the Diamond Mind segment, like one discussion prior. They've lost now and... If you were feeling like, actually, I'm starting to feel something, Fit Row, it's like, well, maybe not, actually, I'll stand back a little bit because they've mm. just lost a match. And when they take on Phantasma, there's no guarantee they're going to win. So maybe I'm not going to fully invest in that either. And they will win. They'll win that feud. But it kind of it's meaningless at this point. Similarly, Imperium, who was supposed to get the rub from all this, I guess, haven't done because they're too boring. They're going to lose to MSK because not on their best day could they beat MSK. That's going to be a very predictable tag team match. So you've heated Imperium up for a match that nobody believes they're going to win at the expense of Hit Row, an act that nobody wants to see lose. Catalogue of errors, all of this for me. And the match was pretty dull and dead because Imperium can't light a crowd up. I can only just like heat on them. That's functionally fine, but never gets over. 
And you know it never gets over because the commentators spend the entire time talking about Walter's title reign because there's absolutely nothing to talk about with these two. And I, like a series of things they attempted to do and they kind of failed at all of them here. It's another example, Sid, of, of NXT in particular having good matches in spite of itself. Like you say, the, 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 the setup for grounded Imperium versus high-flying MSK will, will be an entertaining match. We know with the history of uh, Swerve and Santos Escobar that they can have great matches. I really like the dynamic and the addition of, of, of Top Dollar and Ashanti Adonis and B-Fab on the outside and Mendoza and Wild and what have you. But like Hamlet has alluded to there, it's just all backwards and wrong to summarise. Yeah, I've got very few thoughts on the match itself. Top Dollar popped me with his little thing. That he did. <laughs> that was kind of funny there. That was, that was good. It was kind of funny. Um, I like performers playing to their strengths. And I like that even more in NXT when strengths are, the strengths of Shawn Michaels are imposed on everyone. So for him to <laughs> basically do this little move where it's like, I know I'm not that much of an athlete, but you know, I'm doing a bit of it. Hey, that's kind of good. I had the exact same thoughts as Hamlet watching this. I'm watching this. I'm thinking, all this for Imperium. <laughs> you joking me. You, you, you spent ages on hit row that cypher went eight minutes like this is anecdotal as all hell so it's not particularly good analysis and i will asterisk what i'm about to say with that like people talk about hit row on my timeline and talk about literally now else about nxt it feels like an act with legs they were cut off (laughs) alpha imperium it's not as if like, oh, they're pushing who I don't want to see again. Like, no one, want, no one thinks they're going to see the match. They're not going to do anything substantial after they lose the match either. This company cannot book. They absolutely cannot book at all. And I know they've booked something with the cross to Jota Cole deal, which is halfway impressive. Otherwise, they can't book. They can spin one plate. I'll tell. I'll give them that. <laughs> Yeah, a quick word on Vic Joseph as well. As much as I really want, ah! I really want him to stop doing the you know how it feels, thing. I will accept him doing that for the rest of this year if he never says "not nada" ever again. Yeah, no, 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 no. Why? Why? I know, Vic. I'm asking the same question, mate. Turn it down. Um. Just, I'm just going to repeat my notes from every week, it seems now. Boy popper of a segment with the way backstage. They are arguing in the locker room. Where's Austin Theory? Why is he run away from home? I just, honestly, Johnny Gargano makes me go back and watch these segments as I'm making my notes, just to make sure I don't miss anything. Because the bit where he's like, yeah, bloody Austin Theory, bloody run away from home, we don't need him. And, there's a, and he goes, oh, Austin? Like that, his little face. But it's not Austin. It's someone to do the delivery for Indy Hartwell. It's a picture of the way featuring Dexter Loomis um, and Gargano. I wrote this. I want you to know, guys, I've written this as one word. Because she's saying, oh, look, Dexter Loomis, I'll give it, give it a chance. He doesn't deserve, deserve a chance. He's a bad guy. Look at his stupid face. That was, that was Julie Gargano's line here. Um, she's, she's just furious about Dex Loomis and the suggestion along with uh, along with Candice LeRae of course that there could be any for, form of relationship uh, but Indy Hartwell's got a suggestion Johnny Gargano has a match with Dexter Loomis and if Loomis wins you have to accept him they can be together but if Gargano wins she is done with Loomis forever and she leaves 
with the picture to find William Regal. Uh, so she's going to put it on her bridge, on the bridge, sorry. And uh, Johnny Gargano yells, don't put it on the bridge. Our bridge is too nice for that. Honestly, he's just two minutes and he makes this show, doesn't he, Humphrey? It does, you know, because I love the way I've got a fridge. I, I want to think of the way house like helps me enjoy a sliver of NXT to imagine these goofs all living together with mom and dad, Candice and Johnny. Um, is it on that a woman's romantic life is determined by a match, even if the woman pitches it herself? Are, nope. they, not trying to have the, are they not trying to have their cake and fart on it too here? Um I'm not sure how I feel about that. But um I Gargano and Lurie were really, really funny. Yeah. I like, I'm the same as you here. I like I sometimes it's that thing with the, the common grinds of stuff occasionally I've said, oh, I'm watching it and I'm going, oh, that's funny. I'm not actually laughing. Johnny Gargano does still make me laugh. Um he makes a lot of lemonade these days, more than he should have to, let's be honest. Uh, but I, I I got a lot out of his delivery here. I'm unclear on how I should feel about that stipulation, quite honestly. It says an awful lot about the company that they would do this without any self-awareness whatsoever. Mm. And maybe there's a tiny shred of it, considering that Indy pitched the match, but come on. I know <laughs> he's not a real person. I know that she's being booked by a bloke, and that bloke's name is Road Dog. Uh, this is very in line with them um, Road Dog's value system. Hey, put the bitch on a pole next. Like that's the kind of thing <laughs> that he would most certainly say. So all of that makes it pretty goddamn misogynistic. This, like, come on, like a whole way. It's not on. It isn't. It just isn't on. Hmm. Uh, the final of the uh, golf course segments now. Uh, it was uh, LA Knight and Cameron Grimes again. Uh, but they are caught up to by the grizzled young veterans. Uh, they are furious having to, to wait behind them. And uh, they, they slag LA Knight off as he's setting up to take his shot, saying, well, just, just hit it in the water again. Get out of the way so we can play through. And Grimes says, you know what? No. You know, it's my boss, LA Knight. He, he's... You can't talk to him like that, basically. Uh, he's Obviously, uh, Cameron Grimes is up $10,000 for the bets he's been making with LA Knight. But they go back and forth and effectively say, whoever can, can I was about to say, pop the ball. My golf knowledge is not great. I'll be perfectly honest. <laughs> whoever can sink it into the hole next gets $20,000. Uh, again, LA Knight shanks it into the water. Grizzly and veterans celebrate. Uh, and LA Knight is furious with Cameron Grimes for putting him off. And he says, you think you can do better? Hands him the driver. And uh, Cameron Grimes take, in the words of another great tag team, takes a swing and uh, uh, nails uh, LA Knight in the balls with it. Uh, but still swings through, hits his golden golf ball. Uh, his swing also clobbers LA Knight in the head, KOs him. But... Cameron Grimes hits a hole in one, celebrates, turns around, realizes what's happened, and does the old Eddie Guerrero, throws the golf club to uh, the grizzled young veterans, helps LA Knight to his feet, and shows them what they've just done, Mr. Knight. He's furious. He chases after them. They leg it on the golf cart, and uh, Cameron Grimes concluding, saying how much he loves a good old game of golf. Uh, we haven't talked about these throughout the uh, uh, review. Sige, what did you make of, of each of these segments and the concluding one here? Mildly amusing. I never want to hear the words sandwich and sandwich confused ever again. <laughs> no matter how much of a moron Cameron Grimes is. But, you know, it's a decent spare on the butler thing. 
The guy is simply too irrepressible and he's just too stupid to sell it as anything that's humiliating. And this is just going to annoy LA Knight all the more. Uh, it's decent second match comedy value stuff. Um, like, it's got to the point now where LA Knight would rather he wasn't the butler anymore. And <laughs> I like, if they subvert this to the point where it's like, I need him, and like Cameron Grimes, like, no, 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 you made the bet now. <laughs> I enjoy watching you like fail or whatever. If they turn this into a match where LA Knight versus Cameron Grimes, if LA Knight wins, he gets to retain. No, he gets to just get rid of the butler. <laughs> that would be really, really good. Um, there's about 11 people out there who like a little bit of a personal anecdote from uh, Michael Sidgwick's past. So I'm going to give you one before I hand over to Michael Hamflip. The bit where he trots him in the balls before the drive and then he hits LA Knight in the head. I did that. I did that at around, I want to say, eight, nine, ten years old, that sort of range. Went a whole day with an old friend who like, lived near me and uh, played miniature golf, which I'd never played. Um, and I didn't realise that, you know, I've got no common sense half the time. So even though I'd been watching people in the queue just do these little gentle putts on a miniature golf, I just remembered what I'd seen on like telly. I went, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> my friend's forehead open. Jesus. I, I belted him right in the forehead. Is that, is that why you like blood in wrestling so much? Because you just think it goes better in all sports. <laughs> like, I'm not a big fan of golf on the telly, but when the guy juices, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I just took a swing. <laughs> red, red, is, red is green. Red on the green, more like. <laughs> Split that bitch's face open. <laughs> I, 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 I'm with Cedric. I think this is decent enough, and they've got to a place where I want to see more matches. Fair play to them. When LA Knight debuted, I wouldn't have imagined that in like six months or so, I'd want to see four separate vignettes about his soaking wet balls. And yet here we are. They've kind of achieved that with him. They've found the right level of how to use this character. This might yet elevate Cameron Grimes. I go back and forth every week as to whether or not this is pulling him too far away from an actual run, a real run as a, as a top guy. And this is one of those weeks where I'm up on it. Actually, when this ends, I can kind of see him emerging from this successful. They're listening because you could pick a lot of people to be in this golf course vignette with them. And they went with the Grizzled Dream Vets. That was for you, Obon. That was for your loyalty, your steadfast loyalty to this gimmick. Thank you as always for listening. And thank you for giving Wilborn what the man deserves once in a while. Very much appreciated that. Uh, right, main event time. Bronson Reed versus Adam Cole. Uh, again, another match on this show with a vast size difference, which was utilised. But Adam Cole uh, levels the playing field somewhat by targeting Reed's leg. He uh, toyed him into the barricade at one point and just kept kicking the leg out of his leg at any opportunity he did. Uh, eventually, Reed fights back, counters, uh, hits Cole with a uh, Death Valley driver for a near fall. Cole fights back, super kicks. Uh, but Reed catches one of them, fires up, chops Cole. Um, but then Cole again targets that in injured leg and hits a Panama bloody sunrise on Bronson Reed. But uh, Reed just kicks out. Cole goes to the last shot, but uh, Reed fights back. It's a lariat. Uh, 
powerbomb, goes up for the tsunami, but there's uh, no one there when he comes off the top rope. That allows Cole to hit the last shot and get the one, two, three. Post-match, as Cole is celebrating and walking up the ramp, though, he is attacked by Cool Cal O'Reilly, who jumps in with a chair, chokes him out with it, and then uh, goes to the steps again, his, uh, his kryptonite, and... Uh, separates them and hits Adam Cole with a brain buster on the ring steps. Kyle O'Reilly stands tall as the show goes off the air, Michael Sidgwick. Yeah, we previewed this yesterday and I'm thinking, look, it'll be, I predicted the exact spot, which wasn't hard to predict in itself, which is a problem in itself of, look, they'll probably protect Bronson Reed on the way out a little bit. Um, and they will do the Panama Sunrise and Adam Cole will do his face and it won't matter because... Adam Cole just excels in these 12 to 15 minute TV match context. I thought this was such a cliche of a match, like such a total cliche of a match. I'm not saying Adam Cole phoned it in. I don't think he's capable of doing that. I literally enjoyed one bit. And that was Bronson Reed sitting on his chest for too long and feigning innocence. I'm like, well, where's my leg? Oh, yeah, under the rope, sorry. That was mildly witty. Otherwise, this was such a cliche of a match and I couldn't help but wonder, right, when he's having the uh, the meeting with the road agent, with whoever the hell it is, and that road agent says, what's going to happen, right, is uh, we're going to tell a story and you're going to hit this big bastard with a Panama sunrise and you think, I've got him now, but Adam, you don't get the two. And you're going to think, I can't believe this. Does Adam call not go? Like, nah. nah. <laughs> been doing this for four years, man. Nah, the drill. He and does I, the shock's face to them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, I know the dog's going to... Right, okay. Tide 14, go on Twitch afterwards. Like, <laughs> with a not... Are they so far gone in terms of the bubble that everyone in WWE exists in now, do they not think, do the kick out face, you know the drill, this is an NXT match, it's like your first rodeo call, make him look a little bit nice before he goes to roll, or do they think it's great? Like, I just, what a cliche of a match I couldn't possibly care about. I think the I love Adam Cole, so I don't want to say that. It's, the dynamic is a little bit shot by knowing what we know as well about Bronson Reed. Um, he's coming at like NXT's big gun because he wants to prove himself while we know in the background that this is actually probably his farewell match. Um, and then he loses to NXT's big gun. So how exactly does that prepare him for the next step, which we know is happening, which is Raw Smackdown when they're perceived to be on a higher level to NXT. So I think that was quite clumsy as well, ultimately. Maybe something that couldn't be realised until the match takes place. And then as you're watching the match, you realise, hang on, from a story point of view, a lot of this doesn't really hang together. One thing doesn't fit with the other. Um, I love, by the way, the and this is a criticism of NXT, not you, Will Vaughn. I love the contrast in cool Kyle O'Reilly jumps in from behind with a steel chair. They <laughs> like, cannot book, man. I know that, like, um, the whole point with Kyle O'Reilly is now that he's been pushed to the edge and he's not cool anymore. <laughs> he's boiling hot. Um, but was it me? Or even the CWC starting to get a bit sick of it. Like, might we get babyface Adam Cole after all? As a result <laughs> like of Kyle O'Reilly coming across like a moaning bastard who was about to resort 
to like I had to get down in the muck with you, Adam. I had to jump you from behind because you would have done the same thing to me. It's like, well, no, evidently you wouldn't. (laughs) Evidently you wouldn't. He would have come out last week and said, I'm done with you. I'm as bored as everybody else with you. (laughs) Like, I know what they were trying to tell me. I just didn't want to listen or watch (laughs) it. Um, Major, I, I don't think this is understating it anymore. Major major problems with Kyle O'Reilly mm. as the future singles main event hope of NXT and like maybe lean into what I felt was coming across as this show closed and turning maybe somehow try and flip these two except that it's an indictment on your process that you haven't flipped them maybe try and flip them mm. call it just one clean yeah. again same as the Raka Gonzalez thing if he cheats it's one thing and like you've got Vic Joseph screaming, "Why, Adam Cole? Why must you cheat when you're such a great wrestler?" And then I've Kyle O'Reilly sink to his level. He's just won a really hard-fought competitive match, clean as a sheet. Like, why attack that version of Adam Cole? Can't book. Yeah, it's. It, I mean, I realise things change very quickly in the world of wrestling, but it feels like a lifetime ago that we were sat here saying, "Oh, maybe finally Alan O'Reilly can defy the odds and be the one to unseat an unstoppable carried cross as NXT champion." Goodness me! Uh, but let us know your thoughts on this week's episode of NXT on Twitter at What Culture WWE Watch. They can follow all three of us. You can follow Michael Hamlet at Michael Hamlet. Follow Michael Sidgwick at M Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE. As I said, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. We will be previewing AW Dynamite Fight for the Fallen later on today. So make sure you subscribe to get that as soon as it is released. But for now, this has been the NXT review. My thanks to the Dadly Boys. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.